know I gave my notes to you, Stephen, but <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15 was not on there, but um, I, I, I want to um, just kind of lay the background for what we have in Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be uh, going over what the Apostle Paul did there in Berea. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. <clears throat> for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Remember that. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, again, in accordance with the scriptures. You see, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. He had done that in Philippi. He had done that in Thessalonica. And now we see him doing the very same thing in Berea. And next week, next Sunday, we're going to see him doing the very same thing in Athens. He's sharing the word. He's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with all who are willing to hear, to lean in, to listen, to consider, and to examine, to see if these things are true. The Apostle Paul is bringing the gospel in every place that he goes to. And so it is that we go to Acts chapter 17. In verse 10, which says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent off Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed." Heavenly Father, we commit once more this time into your hands, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together. This is a time that you've ordained for us to gather together to study your word, scripture, that we would consider it and decide whether it is true or not. I pray, Lord, as we do consider this, Lord, that we would be mindful of the work that you desire to do in each and every one of our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would be open and eager to hear what you would have to say to the church. And, Lord, that we would be of understanding, great understanding. That as we understand, we would be encouraged, stirred up, Lord, to love and good works. That we would honor you, glorify you by allowing you to sanctify us, to kind of mold us and shape us a bit more this morning into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for anyone who's here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that this morning would be a, a day, a moment of salvation. Lord, because we know that the scriptures speak 
of Jesus. The plan of salvation, of redeeming man unto yourself. And so let us consider these things and let us consider the love that you have for us and the work that we have before us as we study your scriptures. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Noble Bereans, that's what they're called. These people that we have in Berea, they're considered to be noble. Paul and Silas and Timothy, after the jealous Jews rioted in Thessalonica, and after the jealous Jews threatened Jason for having brought the, Christian, brought the Christians who were leading people to Christ into his home to care for them. And after the authorities believed the lies of the jealous Jews, determined that it was no longer safe for Paul and Silas and Timothy to remain there in Thessalonica. And so immediately, as we read last week, they immediately sent them off by night to Berea. I was thinking this was nothing new for Paul. From the very beginning of Paul's conversion, while in Damascus, it says immediately in verse 21 of Acts chapter 9, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. This was, remember, his conversion happened on the road to Damascus. And now we find him in Damascus and immediately he starts sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because he came to believe, he came to know, he received this testimony that Jesus of Nazareth is the one who had died on the cross for his sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the grave. The next verse in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, it says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. We see him doing that in city after city after city. He was doing the same thing. The very thing that he started doing back in Damascus, he's continuing to do throughout his first missionary journey and now on his second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 9, verse 23, it says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates by day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And so we see from the very beginning of Paul's conversion that, number one, he proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God and explained why this was true to all who were willing to listen according to the Scriptures, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Many listened, and some believed. And many did not believe. And there were many who desired to harm him. The whole reason for them trying to harm him was to stop him. And Paul very well could have stopped spreading the gospel. And he could have at that point, it got too difficult. There were too many things that were happening to me. This is obviously a sign from God that this is not the direction that I should take. And stopped. And just led a quiet life. Peaceable. But he knew very well that that's not the life that he was called to. 
The Lord did not call Paul to and think about this. Please put your please put yourself in Paul's position, would you, for a moment? Because if you're in Christ, you're a disciple just like the Apostle Paul. Do you desire to live a quiet, peaceful, risk-free life? We all do, right? We desire that. There's not one person that doesn't desire that. But the Lord did not call Paul to a safe, quiet, risk-free life of peace and tranquility. He did in a spiritual sense but definitely not in an outward one. You see, the Lord called Paul to do the work of an evangelist and to make disciples of all nations, no matter what the personal cost was, even the cost of hunger, cold, false accusations, arrest, shipwreck, beatings, and sleepless nights. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul describes his life in this way. Those of you who want to follow Christ, listen very closely. Think about this. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. Here was the life of Paul. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil. And hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? I, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. He even takes us all the way back to Damascus. The persecutor became the persecuted, and it hadn't stopped. It started in Damascus. And it's been ever since. This was how the Apostle Paul described himself and his life. And yet we also see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Hmm. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Anything he faced, anything that he came up against was all worth it for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so for him, he could definitely say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The only reason why he could say all these things, and there's a reason why I've brought us through this, is to understand the gift of grace that he had within him, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of reconciliation. That's what he was bringing to all mankind. This morning, let us see things as they are. Paul was a Christian, but the people of Berea were not. Next week, we'll see how Paul was a Christian, but the people of Athens were not. You see, Christians ought to consider Paul, whereas unbelievers ought to consider the Bereans or the Athenians or the Philippians or the Thessalonians, and and how the Lord ministered to them through Paul and how the Lord reveals himself to everyone through the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether you know a little about the Bible or not. Because we know the Bereans, they were Jews that were in the synagogue. They knew a lot about Scripture, right? Whereas in contrast, when he went to Athens, yes, he went to the synagogue, But then there were those who were the philosophers of the day, the Greeks, which did not know perhaps much. They knew some, but not much, in how it is that the Lord ministered to them and brought the gospel to them through the Apostle Paul as well. But we as Christians ought to consider how both the Bereans and the Athenians received the word of God, giving the world, given the world in which they lived in, considering the world in which they lived in, and how they considered the word at that very moment. So it is for us. It doesn't matter if we have a lot of biblical knowledge or we have very little to none. We ought to consider these things and perhaps examine them to see if they're true or not. Paul persevered through everything because he possessed the message of reconciliation for mankind to God. He knew that he possessed the most important message the important the most important news that anyone could ever hear and wanted to do everything he possibly could to expose people to the gospel of Jesus Christ that's one of the reasons for us here at refuge we're on youtube we're on facebook uh, we podcast these messages so that it's not just so that let's see how many people we can get you know viewing and following no 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 it's it's for the, getting the gospel out to as many people as we possibly can. That's, that's why for you, I would ask you, use those tools. Share them on your Facebook page or on your YouTube. Um, send them to people um, through a link on, uh, in texting, maybe a text group, whatever it is, so that you could get the gospel out to as many people as we possibly can. That was Paul's perspective. You see, he was enlisted by his king, Jesus, to deliver the good news to everyone, including, as we see this morning, the noble Bereans. Again, in verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these, if these things were so. Now what we're missing there in between verses 10 and 11 is, of course, it being said that as it said 
up in chapter 17 and verse 2. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Because that is exactly what he was doing in Berea as he did back in Thessalonica. He, did the, he was doing the very same thing. It was nothing different. It was just the way in which, and this is emphasized, the way in which the Bereans received and responded to the preaching of the gospel, to the teaching of God's word. Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had traveled 45 miles west from Thessalonica to Berea. So they didn't go too far. 45 miles is not too far. And so they traveled out there. Berea was already an ancient city in Paul's day. Thucydides having first mentioned Berea in 437 BC. We know it to be a prosperous city of commerce with a large Jewish community, even at the time of the Apostle Paul. It was located on the Via Ignatia, which was a route to travel across the Roman provinces of Macedonia, Illyricum, and Thracia. And from there, you could sail across the Adriatic Sea to Italy and then continue there uh, via, uh, through the, the route of Via Appia and on to Rome. And you could just imagine that course. And so it was a bustling city. It was a city of commerce. It was already an ancient city. It was an old city, several hundred years old by the time Paul got there. So it was a well-traveled road. And Berea was a bustling city. Since Berea did have a large Jewish community, Paul found a synagogue. Remember that a synagogue, there has to be at least 10 men, Jewish men, who could make up a synagogue and they could gather together. And so it was, Berea did have a large Jewish community. Paul found a synagogue. He went into it, into it as was his custom, custom. And he did the same thing that he did in Thessalonica. He went in there to reason with them from the scriptures and to explain and prove that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. It seems the Thessalonians did receive Paul's proclamation well. But let's note here that the Bereans are described as being more noble than those in Thessalonica. We ought to be more noble like the Bereans than any other group of people. I would love for us to be known here at Refuge like the Bereans were regarded. To be described here at Refuge as a people of God who are noble in this way. Because what does this mean? You know what? How is it that we could know that for us here at, as people of God fellowshipping in this church called Refuge. This is saying that the Jews in Berea were more open-minded. That they were more fair-minded. But not in ways of the world. Don't get me wrong. This is, this is not you know, open-mindedness and fair-mindedness in regards to the things of the world. In other words, being tolerant, just you know, whatever it is that comes, comes. We consider all things in that manner. But I don't know, these were the things of the Lord. They were willing to 
consider for them at that very moment new ideas. You know, as you sit here, and we, don't, we haven't arrived, right? Paul even said, you know, for me, I haven't arrived. In other words, I haven't come to know just all things, but I'm growing in the Lord. Even Peter encouraged, you know, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? And so it is that we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here today and you have felt for a long time that you've been stagnant, that you've kind of figured things out already, and so you've determined just your level of knowledge when it comes to Scripture, then perhaps you ought to consider the Bereans, because for them, they were open to, what is this that you have for me from the very word of God? This is what we have before us. These are like new ideas. This is why for me, as I read through scripture and I regard God's word, it's like being a Berean sitting down and, and seeing this as like, that's a new idea for me. It's not a new idea for, for the Lord, but it's a new idea for me. It's a new perspective. It's a new depth, width, height. Uh, you know, as far as God's word, that I can get to know the Lord a bit better. New ideas also, when they are correct according to Scripture, correct our ways, our thoughts, and hopefully determine our actions if they are not in line with God's word. The Bereans were willing to consider new ideas, being impartial in judgment, unbiased, and objective. This describes a spiritual, personal posture and one that I believe is very, very important for us to take, to possess when it comes to God's word. Because why would Luke describe the Bereans in such a way? Why did he emphasize this in this place with these people? Because it's of great importance for us to consider and to apply to our own lives. Because it's important that the receiver of God's word receive the word in the same manner as the Bereans and the giver of God's word give God's word in the same manner as Paul did. So both the receiver of God's word, consider that, and if you're a teacher, consider the manner in which Paul dispensed the word of God. In other words, we should receive God's word with eagerness and openness and examine what has been taught. And for the one who is teaching, he should be dispensing the word in sound doctrine, being able to be examined and found to be true in context. In other words, for the teacher, I, I have nothing against, and I, I encourage you, take notes. Take notes, bring a pen, bring a paper, Write on your Bible, in your Bible, if, if, you, if you're someone who does that, jot down some notes here and there. And if you have a question about something that's being covered, then please ask it. It, it, it. You can examine the scriptures to see if it is true. And if it's something that's not true, and I've told you time and time again, please bring that to my attention. I am not beyond examination. In fact, I, of all people, need to understand that what's going to be required of me is a stricter judgment because I should know the word much better as I'm bringing it to you. The Apostle Paul, as he stood before the Bereans and Thessalonians and the Philippians and everyone else, 
Ephesians and everyone else. He was not beyond examination. They ought to go back to the word, and that's exactly what we see them do first. Let's go test to see if it's right. Let's go see if these things are true. These men were Jews in the synagogue. They knew scripture very well. They were very knowledgeable of the scriptures. There was no threat to them, and so they behaved in a way that exemplified spiritual confidence. You, as you get to know the word of God, there is no threat to you. A man or a woman who stands on the word of God and knows the word of God does not feel threatened whatsoever because you have discernment. You stand on sound doctrine. And so you hear and you're open-minded. You are fair-minded. You are unbiased. You're, you're not prejudging. You're just, hey, let's, let's take, the, take it in. I'm going to jot down some notes and, and see what you have to say. And then I'm going to test it against what I know to be Scripture. And this is what we see these Jews doing in the synagogue. There's no threat to them. And so they, you could say, were jotting down some notes and they didn't immediately reject what Paul was saying. They, they didn't simply hear him and say, no, Paul, you're done. Sit down. They listened to him. They received. Number one, the Bereans received the word with all eagerness. This means that they received what was being taught by Paul with fervor and enthusiasm, with hunger, great hunger, with thirst, great thirst, longing and yearning. That's interesting because they at that point didn't know whether what Paul was saying, I'm sure their discernment, knowing God's, God's word, his law, they were thinking, well, all of this at this point sounds sound. It sounds healthy according to God's word. And so as, as they listened to Paul, there, there was a, there was, their, their ears were perking up. They were, they were like really hoping that this was true. It wasn't just some empty, at-the-moment excitement, just yelling amens in the moment and then forgetting the word the next. It wasn't like that. It wasn't uh, an emotional stirring. It was a spiritual stirring within them, and they yearned for what the Apostle Paul was sharing with them. They received it with great eagerness. This describes the people who were sitting there listening attentively with pen and paper in hand, jotting down scripture references and writing a few brief thoughts as Paul spoke. This was describing a people who were hoping and longing for it to be true. Is what you're saying true? But at the same time, they weren't about to simply take Paul's word for it. The Bereans examined what Paul said to make sure it was sound. So that's what they did next. The Bereans examined the scriptures, and it says here that they, exa- they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You know, the men are going to start their study on the, what was it, this, the 28th of September. And that's a weekly study. You know, unfortunately, for some, you cram everything, uh, you know, Monday just before study or Sunday the day before, and so you don't give yourself an opportunity to truly get the most out of your study. 
Now, I encourage you men to be a Berean. As you go through, examine, examine the scriptures daily. Study the word of God daily. So that that way, not only are you prepared to share, but the whole group. And ladies, I encourage you to do the same thing. The whole group benefits from the time that you spent with the Lord. These Bereans examine the scriptures. And this word describes a judicial process where they interrogated, you could say, Paul's testimony, what he said, his words that were spoken by cross-examining his words by the word itself, not by personal opinion or personal interpretation of the scriptures. Be very careful. The interpretation of the scriptures lies in the scriptures, and it belongs to God, not man. Always remember that when you're studying God's word. The interpretation of God's word belongs to God, not man. He says what, it, what he means and means what he says. The word, the scriptures, would serve to investigate whether Paul's testimony was true or not. Paul's words were being evaluated. They were being studied. They were being judged carefully by and through scripture. And this wasn't done casually. They were diligent in their examination of Paul's teachings. They gave themselves to this work daily. Can you imagine that? I mean, having, having what you just shared, the, the message that you just gave, the, the, the sermon, oh, we're going to rip this apart inside and out, examining whether this was true or not. And they did this daily. Coming back, can you imagine coming back the following Saturday? Hey, hey Paul, we have some questions for you. Just to clarify, and let's go through this. That's why on Wednesday nights, I, I like afterwards the Q&A because we can get some things clarified, explained, and, uh, and really look at Scripture a little bit deeper after we get through our study. But this is what happened with the Apostle Paul. The Bereans were students. They were, they were considered to be noble because they examined the Scriptures. They received the message with great eagerness. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Just to put things in perspective, I know oftentimes we go through the word, and, you know, how many of you um, are on a reading program for, you know, going through the Bible? Quite a few of you? Okay. You know, and, and I don't know if your goal is to read the Bible in one year, um, but in this Bible, because of the font size and, um, you know, the size of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we have 1,042 pages. So I've shared this with you before. Do the math. There's a, a way in which you can read the whole Bible in the course of 90 days. Think ninety days. That that's like sprinting through the Bible. Well, maybe, but that's only twelve pages a day. Think about that. Twelve pages. Um, if, if you if that's just too much, perhaps you can read it in six months. That's just six pages. I didn't I didn't say chapters. I said pages. Pages of, of these. Right? Could involve. Many chapters could involve just a few. Right? 
Well, how about in just a little under a year? Three pages a day, you will have the Bible in its entirety read in 347 days. Just a little over 11 months. Think about that. You know, if you spend, if you're a slow reader, that's fine. You can spend a little extra time in God's Word. But I would, I would encourage you to be a student of the Word of God, to read through, become familiar, familiar with the Word of God. Whenever you read a book, what you're encur- encouraged to do is, is read the preface and read the intro. Um, you, you can read a little bit about the author, kind of the background. And then what uh, normally you're encouraged to do with a book, all right, is just kind of peruse it. You know, look at the, the titles of the different chapters, um, look at what they're all about, read through the word or through the book, you know, just read through it to get familiar with it, and then go into the, the word or the, the book and, uh, and get into depth and slow down a bit, right? That, that's what we're encouraged to do, by the way, it, when we read any book. Now, the more you become familiar overall with the word of God, the more you're going to get out of it the more you're going to know and have that intimate time with the Lord. How much intimacy do you have with, dare I say, social media? In the things that are really dear to your heart, the things that you value most are the things that you're going to spend a lot of time in. It's amazing how we can sacrifice, and it really doesn't feel like sacrifice, to do those things for hours on end, different things. And we grow tired as we read through one chapter, then another chapter, and then we're like, I read a lot. I feel truly righteous at this moment. So I'm just going to leave it at that, right? That's, I'm done. We're, we're good. Right? I would encourage you, just read through. You're not going to get everything. But you're going to get some things as you go through. The way the Lord is speaking you through, to you through it, it's truly wonderful. It truly is. I mean, I just read through the whole situation with Balaam and Balak. Uh, that was not a good situation. But I, I was thinking how it is that uh, you know Balak was used or Balaam was used by Balak and and uh, to he was wanting him to curse uh, the Israelites and and uh, the Lord wouldn't allow him to do it. Uh, it came to a point to where you know Balaam was on his way you know and he was en route to uh, speak with Balak uh, and king of the Moabites and, and it was at that point that uh, the donkey. You know, the, the, the donkey kept trying to, like, steer him off the path because uh, the angel of the Lord stood in his path. And even when he went off, you know, he beat his donkey. And then he, he, he got to the point to where the angel of the Lord stood before him again. And then he kind of took him into a wall. And uh, that's when he, and, and then the donkey uh, lay down. He wouldn't go any further. And Balaam had enough. He got up and beat that donkey and it was at that point that uh, the donkey spoke. I have no problem with the donkey speaking, but my problem is that Balaam answered him. And he had this conversation with him. And sometimes we have those conversations. 
sometimes seemingly with donkeys. But with that, I was thinking, you know, for me, and this is just, just a side note, for me, as I am studying God's word, as I'm reading through and considering these things, I was thinking, am I in any way, shape, or form a Balaam? And I just read through it. I was, I was just one of those moments to where it's like, Lord, I don't want to be that person that fails to see and be directed by your spirit, by your word. To do the things that you desire for me to do and stay away from those things that you desire for me to stay away from. Am I someone who continually comes back to you and insists on doing something that I know is clearly opposed to you? Because Balaam really should have understood, I'm not going to curse God's people. I don't even have to ask, ask God if I can do it. I just won't do it, right? But are we doing those things in certain ways? Just on a side note, this is something that I was thinking about because as you spend time in God's word, he's going to speak to you, he's going to minister to you, and you're going to become so familiar with the word of God. The more you go through this book, Year after year after year, you're going to become familiar with it to the point to where when Paul speaks of something in the New Testament, you're going to make reference to it in the Old Testament. You're going to know exactly where it's at. You're going to know. So 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And this was consistent with the way the Bereans responded. As they did this, they were unbiased and objective. They hoped that it was true, and they found that what Paul had said was indeed true according to Scripture. Therefore, we see the result. Number three, many of them believed. It says that many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. This was the result of their diligent examination of the word that was being taught by the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine these Jews that went home, therefore now they could see it all coming together, and they had Greek friends, they, had, they lived in the same city, and they were sharing this with other people. It was something that they had come to realize. People that, that come to salvation, you can't shut them up. You cannot shut them up. And just know that if you're a new Christian, you're going to face opposition, but stand fast in the truth that you have come to know. These Jews that had come to believe, they shared it with everyone. Since they found it to be true, they believed, and many Jews were saved in Berea, many Greek women of great influence were saved in Berea, and many Greek men as well. The people were sincere in searching out the truth. And when they found Paul's message to be true, they believed and surrendered to the grace and hope that was offered through Jesus Christ. God's word and salvation was firmly established, being confirmed by God's word. Well, but then there comes the jealous Jews and the mob. With all of this, the enemy wanted to silence truth. And the jealous Jews from Thessalonica heard that Paul was in Berea preaching the gospel, the good news of salvation. And so 
they were bussed in 45 miles to agitate and stir up the crowds. This caused the brothers in Christ to send Paul away. Silas and Timothy remained in Berea, and Paul traveled to Athens. Let's talk about this, to agitate. This is to arouse public concern about an issue. Agitators. There is, this is nothing new. This has been going on since these days. I mean, come on, guys. You were in Thessalonica. You didn't like it. Why, why didn't you just stay there? I mean, these were Bereans. Leave, leave this city alone and these people here. But no, that's not how the enemy works. He wants to silence truth. He wants to agitate. He wants to arouse public concern about the issue of salvation. If you don't think we're at war right now, think again, fellow brothers and sisters. We're at war. Stand in the truth, all right? And declare, proclaim the truth. Do not, do not relax. Do not allow darkness and evil to just pass through. No, men and women of God, you need to stand up for the truth. Because there's going to be agitators that are sent your way that are going to arouse public concern about the issue of salvation in God. When you put clothes in the washer, you agitate the clothes so that the dirt will come off and it be rinsed away in the rinse cycle. Right? Well, the jealous Jews came to stir up and agitate those who had believed and those who were considering what Paul was saying so that the truth of God's word would, quote-unquote, come off, and it'd be simply rinsed away down the drain of unbelief with the applied deception and lies of the enemy and the enemies of God. In Matthew chapter 18, or verse 13, uh, chapter 13, I'm sorry, verse 1, we see the parable of the sower. Now, the, the parable of the sower is explained in verse 18, and that's where we're going to go. Jesus said, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorn, thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Do you find yourself flustered? Unsettled? Anxious? Maybe worried. Worried. Bothered. Maybe even alarmed. Or just in a state of disquiet. You just don't know that peace that surpasses all understanding. Perhaps it's because the evil one is working in your life to snatch the word from the soil of your heart. Or you haven't allowed the word of God to take root by reading, praying, serving, fellowshipping, 
with the Lord. Or maybe you've allowed tribulation and persecution to make you fall away from what you once claimed to believe. Or the reason why you're unsettled is because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the things of the world are choking the word out and it's being prevented from proving fruitful in your own life. Remember, in James chapter 3, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, spiritually, spirit, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Good soil. This describes the Bereans, what we just read. The question for you and I is, does, does it describe us? The Bereans were described as being noble because they received the word with all eagerness and at the same time, they examined the scriptures daily. This led to their faith, to their belief, to their salvation. And I'm sure it didn't stop at salvation. I'm sure they continued this process every day and their faith grew daily as they were further grounded in sound doctrine and it applied this to everyday life, to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, their Savior, the noble Bereans. Are we the noble children of God who receive the word of God with eagerness and examine it daily? Test the word that has been taught See for yourself if Jesus is truly the Son of God, who was born of a virgin, died on the cross, and resurrected on the third day. See for yourself whether Jesus, claiming to be the only way to the Father, truly is the only way to the Father. And see for yourself that the alternative for us remaining in our own belief is to remain, uncon uh, remain condemned and apart from God outside of Christ. I pray and hope that the word falls on good soil and you come to understand and believe. Father, I pray that we would be those people who receive the word of God with great eagerness, openness. And Lord, that you would give us understanding according to your scripture as we examine the scripture. I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, who would has not come to know forgiveness of their sins, that perhaps the day is today, and the day of salvation has come. Lord, as we first started out, we need to understand that tomorrow is not promised to anyone. So let us respond to the grace that you've extended to us, salvation through Jesus Christ today. I thank you, Lord, that we can simply confess that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins, who was buried and three days later rose from the grave. We, we believe in confessing our sins to Jesus and asking him to be Lord and Savior, that at that very moment, 
you can change our hearts. You can give us a new perspective, a new hope. And Lord, our, our, our very names can be written in the Lamb's book of life. I thank you, Lord, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works lest any man should boast. I pray, Lord, that we, should, that we would ourselves confess that and that our lives would reflect a thankfulness of that salvation that we have come to know. Let us respond with great joy and hope in Christ Jesus our Lord.